Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. Welcome back, folks. Good to have you aboard. Uh, yeah, we're talking to some interesting guests today. We're talking about our medical assisted treatment unit in the Monroe County Jail, and uh, Captain McGowan's with us. Captain, how are you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm good. You got that radio voice. Yes, sir. There you go. That's perfect. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Tisha Smith, I'm going to have her introduce herself a bit more in a second, but how are you? I'm well. Thank you for good. having me. And my man, TJ uh, St. John, uh, a graduate of our program, and uh, good to have you in here and, and talk about the other end of the experience. Thank oh, you, you, sir. Yeah, great to see you again, bud. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I campaigned on a couple of years ago is, is, is the opioid and heroin addiction uh, catastrophe that was occurring right in front of us. I mean, the numbers of lives destroyed was utterly incredible. And I think as a society for years and years, we turned a blind eye to it. Uh, and it let it spiral out of control. Uh, you know, we talk nowadays about pandemics, <laughs> COVID and things like that. This is uh, this was a pandemic we never seen in our life, and that's the uh, the heroin and the fentanyl that uh, that uh, was uh, uh, just as I mean, you're talking 200 deaths in Monroe County in one year, right? 200 dead people, and thousands of more overdosing uh, annually. And, and the cost on families, the cost on society, the cost on all our systems, police, fire, EMS, hospitals. Utterly incredible, and, and I, I was quite frank back then. We turned a blind eye to it. There's many reasons why we may have done that as a society, uh, but either way, those are human souls, and we had to do something about it. So one of the things we where we had the opportunity is, you know, a lot of these folks that are in the addictive state end up inside the Monroe County Jail, and, and what can we do with them? Best practices while they're with us uh, to hopefully fight that demon, that that addiction demon that's riding on their back. Uh, so that's the MAT unit, uh, medical assisted treatment. So uh, that's one of our solutions, hopefully, and. And uh, a couple of the players to build it. And uh, like I said, TJ, a person that experienced it. So uh, dive just a bit, in, bit into it. You know, when I said Matt years ago uh, to you, Captain, uh, you know, and you run a jail and there's always great programs and I'm constantly throwing new ideas at you guys and gals. Uh, you know, what was your first reaction, to be honest? And let's, let's be frank. So to be honest, it, it, it's, you know, it's always the status quo is something that we get used to. Right. And, and we, we tend to just do what we're used to doing. Um, the change of leadership was helpful. Um, prior to that, they had hired Dr. Smith, and right. I had uh, she helped me overcome a lot of my misconceptions about what addiction was and, and what a mat unit should look like um, and things like that. So um, without those pushes, I think we might still be doing the status quo. And if you look at some of the statistics for you know this past year versus the year before on right. overdoses, it's very promising. I think, and I can, obviously we can't take credit for all of that, but I personally agree that a lot of it has to do with Dr. Smith's programs and what we've done in the jail. Yeah, and Dr. Smith was here before I uh, was, uh, you know, honored to be elected sheriff. But uh, so having that that bedrock of the the mindset of of jailing, right, from as opposed to the security and safety, you know, the mindset of what do we do with folks that are human beings incarcerated and what do we do to get them on a path to success, whether it's an addiction or any other path, a mental health path or whatever. But uh, so, Dr. Smith, how about a little background? Where do you come from? Uh, what brought you here? What, what brought you to Monroe County even before I got here and and in uh, your doctor work? Okay, my doctor work. <laughs> um, uh, I um, came from inpatient chemical dependency. Mm -hmm. uh, I was there for about seven years. Prior to that, I was in the jail. Um, in Henrietta, excuse me, Brighton, uh, for 
um, three years working for Huther Doyle. Um, I was um, the, I forgot my title, program coordinator for the... Um, you can make up any title. We don't know. So I was a president <laughs> of, <laughs> of everything. Everything. No. <laughs> um, I was a program coordinator for the Young Offenders Reentry Program. So I was uh, in the jail uh, as a full-time reentry person about for about three years. I left that field and um, because it was a grant, it ended, and no one really picked us up. So we all were kind of effectively laid off. I went to inpatient chemical dependency where I stayed for about seven years, and uh, I was kind of bored. Mm. And um, around year four, maybe, um, and I wasn't really being asked to do much other than kind of like turn over patients, like welcome them in, do what you got to do, peace and love, out the door, right. next. And then we just kept doing that. And so I was bored. They weren't really asking me to be creative or anything. So uh, that's when I had the inkling to go back to school. I was, uh, so I went back to school and got my doctorate in executive leadership um, in the field of education. And, Congratulations. Um, thank you. And then um, set out on a path to find a job where I could do what I like and what I'm passionate about and uh, heard about this job and went off on this path and mm -hmm. came on board and started working with um, Captain McGowan out in Brighton and uh, we uh, really did some good work out there, helped cha really transform the culture um, and introduced all sorts of uh, creative and funky ideas out there and um, uh, was able to in, increase the members of my team and um, got some really, really, really talented, passionate people um, along with the passionate people that were already there. And uh, we just kind of tried to do things um, a little bit differently. So you should take some credit for that. When she talks about changing the culture, right? Um, there's a jail culture and there's a law enforcement culture. And those go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And you have deputies out there, uh, most of them that are more veteranish because that's kind of where you go when you're wrapping up your career. A lot of them like to go out to Brighton. And they're used to doing things a certain way. And they didn't have a real positive view of um, any type of rehabilitation for lots of different reasons we won't go into here. But Dr. Smith came in, and within 12 months, she had some of the hardest core deputies there that's awesome. painting walls. <laughs> um, having bets with the rehab staff there right. and the, the whole synchronicity there, which, you know, I give her a lot of credit for in such a short time turned around and that enabled us to have a, a, a nice, unique and, um, cohesive approach out there. So instead of having, you know, staff bumping halves with rehab and deputies right. and right. trying to schedule things, everybody was on the same page there. And it was, we were able to do it because it was a smaller jail out there, mm -hmm. and it was a sentence jail. But we were able to do it because of the leadership of Dr. Smith and her approach. And, uh, and she, you know, she ran into a lot of walls. She ran into a lot of no's. Sure. And she would always find a way around. And she'd find a way to positively sit down. We'd figure something else out. We'd approach it another way. And within a year, and a year's a short time, right. uh, everybody was on board. We were actually making changes. We had people leaving, and we had success stories. And, um, and obviously, we're still on, you know, on to bigger and better things. But that was what started it. Well, it takes a special uh, personality to be able to do that, especially with law enforcement officers coming and break down those egos, those silos, yeah. those A-type personalities, and get them to come on board with a program and change some culture. It's not easy. You know, we keep on mentioning the Brighton facility. Mm -hmm. uh, for those folks that don't know, Monroe County has two jails, if you think about it. Uh, the large jail downtown Rochester can house up to 1,000 people, I believe. Right now we have about 623 uh, today. And then they had a correctional facility out in Brighton, formerly known as Henrietta, uh, in Brighton. And uh, it, was, it was designed for people that were sentenced and, and to give them that rehab, if you will, corrections. You know, we all talk about Department of Corrections. Well, uh, their goal was to correct people before they left and, and put them on a path to success. And 
Uh, so when we refer to Brighton, that's uh, that's where we got. We have the liberty and and the uh, the blessing of having a whole separate jail that we could do unique things with, uh, especially as the jail population went down. TJ, yes, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. How are we're you? We're gonna get a little deeper in this conversation. But I want to get some intros, let people know who's behind the mic. So, uh, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Where are you living now? Uh, what's your favorite color? Anything you want to tell us about? <laughs> um, I grew up in the city of Rochester, actually. Um, on, on the west side, yeah, right off of Lexington. Um, yes. On a little street called Stenson. It's kind of by Edison. I know right where you are. Kind of by Edison High School. Yep. And then um, I was born there um, till probably 14, 15, um, we moved out to uh, East Arundaquite. Uh, I went to Marshall, and then I finished my high school year at Marshall. Um, and right now I'm living downtown in the East End area, beautiful new home, Good. you know. But there was a time and a point where I was definitely not living where I am now, yeah. you know. Battling addiction and homelessness and all that stuff, you know. So the million dollar question in the, uh, especially in the heroin opioid world, is how do these how, how do these these great young men and women become addicted to such a substance? And and I know there's a thousand answers to that question. So uh, your answer won't be the answer for everybody. But if you don't mind just sharing, you know what what, what takes you from, you know, growing yeah, up in so Marshall High School, graduating, and and then ending up in the Monroe County Jail, right? Yeah. So. Um I started drinking and smoking weed, you know, at an early age, you know, a lot of teenagers do it. Um, and right along with that, you know, came like LSD and mushrooms and stuff oh. like that. And, um, and like, that's all I did for a while. Um, when I was like 17, you know, I, I had, a, I was just hanging around like a, a really wrong group of friends, you know, very easily influenced by them and like we would uh go out and what we call car shopping you know breaking into cars mm -hmm. and, and stealing stuff and um when i was 17 we we did it we broke into a car and uh that was my first experience we found a book bag that had a bunch of weed and a bunch of cocaine in it and that was my first experience with a hard drug from there um i like fell in love with it um and there was enough of it that it kind of got me into like selling drugs and like that became an addiction as well um, wow, think about that, yeah. And um, from there, instead of, after I graduated high school, I, uh, I should have went to college, but I pursued, like, partying and stuff like that instead. Um, left my parents' home, moved in with a couple friends, and that house was just, like, a party literally every day. Um, everyone was selling drugs. We had, you know, friends. At this time, this was, like, 2012, we were talking about basalts earlier, just like kind of jacking around. And um, it's funny that we talked about that because like back then, like we were ordering from China research chemicals. And like, it's funny because there's a big ring of people that uh, ended up getting nabbed by like the DEA and the FBI and stuff like that. And um, this was like back in 2012. Okay. And, but prior to that, like that's like what we did. Like we just sold drugs, we had parties and uh, you know, all my friends from there, like, I always, so I have this, like, thing, not anymore, but, like, when I was using, like, I had to experience these things called not yets, you know? I always told myself I would never uh, do heroin. I always told myself I would never do, like, intravenous drugs. Um, and, man, was I mistaken. You know, you surround yourself around enough people that are doing these things, you know, you, you start to become, you know, curious about it. Um, 
I was dating this girl. It was a drug-fueled relationship. Like, she was uh, escorted on Backpage. I was selling drugs. And it was, like, happily ever after, so I thought. I went away to uh, my first detox in 2014. Went down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. From there, they kept telling me, you know, you should stay home or stay here and not go back home because, you know, early recovery. It, it's in, in early recovery, you're very sus susceptible to, like, falling back to what you knew mm -hmm. because, like, in early recovery, like, you're faced with, like, all these feelings and emotions and stuff like that. And unless you know, like, really how to deal with it, like, it's so easy to just go back to, like, where you were. Um, and that's what I was faced with. Um, when I came back home, I ended up just going, like, right back out almost same immediately. Same same people, same environments. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Except for this time, like, this is, like, when I started, like, really dabbling into, like, harder drugs. When I came back home, I ran into that ex-girlfriend, and uh, it was, like, right back to where we left off. It was, like, 2015. Um, this was, like, when fentanyl first started coming into Rochester. I had went to a uh, cop for this girlfriend of mine, and uh, I had to go meet some friends, and, like, it ended up taking an, a, a lot longer than what I thought it would. Um, when I came back to the house, like, I had found her. She had overdosed and died. She was, like, really big into, like, mixing Xanax and stuff like that. I ended up trying to kill myself that night. I just took a handful of Xanax and like, next thing you know, I was waking up in the R wing of the hospital. Um, I had my stomach pumped. They put me on a 72 hour hold for trying to kill myself. Yeah, from there it was just like a, it, from there it was just like a, a, a routine of going into detoxes and then just not, just detox and inpatient and then right back to where I was. You know, I'm, I'm a member of a couple of um, 12 step fellowships right. today. Yep. And I owe my success to a lot of that. Good. Heroin Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous have like been huge. When I was using, like I would go to these meetings and like I would just sit there. I wouldn't do any of the work, you know, I'd take any of these suggestions that anybody was giving me or anything. You know, you don't you don't do any work, like you're not gonna change. <laughs> and then like twenty seventeen, uh I found out my father was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I kind of made the vow like that year to uh change. But I was trying to change for them, my parents. I wasn't trying to change for me, and it didn't work. So I stayed clean that time for probably like four months, five months. And uh, because I wasn't doing any work, I went right back to where I was. Mm -hmm. And that time I hit it, you know, because like my dad at the time was like really starting to get bad. I had ended up telling my mom, and like she told me not to tell my father, you know, because that's all he wanted. He just wanted to see me clean. Right. Um. 2018, my father ended up passing away, and uh, that's when, like, this disease really grabbed me and, like, just, just brought me down into a place that, like, I never want to experience again. I started doing these not-yets that I always told myself. I started stealing from my family. I started stealing from, like, stores, boosting, doing whatever I had to do to uh, support my habit. Christmas Day of 2018, I ended up stealing my mother's credit card. Previous to that, like, I had stolen all of my father's jewelry and pawned it. All of my mother's jewelry and pawned it. Christmas Day, after I stole my mom's credit card, and uh, I went and did some stuff I wasn't supposed to do, obviously, with it. The next day, I got a phone call from her telling, telling me that uh, I had better bring some of the stuff that I had stolen back, and obviously I couldn't. So I went over to her house, and she must have had it set up or something because, like, I was there for, like, 10 minutes, and the next thing you know, there was probably... 10, 15 around a quite police officers there, and I was in custody. And, uh, you know, I look back on it, and I was very resentful at my mother sure. for doing that. But now, 
I can look back and I can say thank you for saving my life. Right. You know? Because I haven't had the need or uh, the want to uh, drink or drug since then. God bless. You know? God bless. I remember getting downtown in jail and, like, I just hit my knees and I just begged God to um, to either kill me or save me. Mm-hmm. And, like, since then it's been, like, nothing but a blessing. I've had those uh, those treatments, like, with the MAP. I've had run-ins with the MAP program in the past. But, like, this time when I got down here and I heard, you know, Tisha Smith offer the, uh, the MAP program, I... I just jumped in with both feet running. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're sharing this. Uh, can I swear on this? It's my show, right? You're 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 one. Well, we'll just leave it at this. You're one tough dude. Yeah. You are one tough dude, and, and when we think we've persevered, you know, in law enforcement and the jobs we have and stuff like that, I don't think uh, anybody's fought as hard as you fought for mm-hmm. for survival. So congratulations. And Thank you. Makes you a a hero in my eyes. You know that you mentioned. You know, so I, I'm talking to folks about addiction and I, I don't know it that well and I'm having meetings with Dr. Smith before I'm even sheriff or in, you know we're in different meetings and I'm I'm rookie I, I I don't all I know is it's a plague I knew it from the veterans community and and watching veterans that were going through addiction and and if I was ever lucky enough to be sheriff what could you do with this bully pulpit and what could you do with this position and and I always talked to some parents and they were, they always talked about you know the gold standard the gold standard 30 day inpatient beds and then you talk to people like Dr. Smith and like that's just scratching the surface you know that's you know 30 days is nothing of someone with that, that addiction state you know so my my simple talking point was well I got these guys if I run a jail I can have them for 60 days I can have them for 90 days whatever the judges you know sent them to us for so let's make the best inpatient beds possible possible in Monroe County and that was a challenge to Dr. Smith and Catherine McGowan and everybody else like we got what these parents are dying for what your dad and your mother dreamed of and that's you being in custody right and with the best inpatient beds we can find instead of sending you all the way to Florida so uh Dr. Smith you know we were lucky we got a grant right off the bat uh uh, Haida came through uh, with some money out of New Jersey and New York City, and it actually came some of the money came from the New York City DA's office to, to fund this and start it. And uh, I think you said it earlier, Dr. Smith. You know, it's okay to do things as you did with the culture out at the uh, the Brighton facility, you know, and see if it works. And if it, if it works, we'll do more of it. And if it doesn't work, eh, we called it a field test. Uh, but you got to try new things. And mm-hmm. and you were bold enough to take Matt to uh, to I think build it, you know. And then the funding disappeared, and we had to find more funding because you wanted to hire a lot of people to support Matt mm-hmm. and a lot of cool uh, uh, stuff that goes along with it. But mm-hmm. you know, let's just talk about building. So what, what's it take to build a Matt unit? Someone sitting down in <laughs> West Virginia, they run a jail, and like, what do we want to do to build it? Lessons learned. I mean, what, what are um, some things that I think it. A couple of things. And, you know, I, I just kind of want to speak to what TJ was saying. Yeah. So there's a lot of times, like, you know, when TJ and I go out and we talk about, you know, Matt, um, and then he always, like, thanks me and, you know, Tisha, she saved me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not even that. And so I'm just going to be self-serving for a moment and just kind of speak directly to you, TJ, um, and to your audience, uh, Sheriff, if you will. Um, Please. When... When, when you say things like that, I look at you as being somebody that's strong. So I look up to you and mm-hmm. admire you. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think of, you know, all of us, we have, um, we engage in self-destructive behaviors all the time. We shouldn't eat that pie. We shouldn't <laughs> have had that cake. We shouldn't have had that soda. We definitely shouldn't have had that sub. Or, you know, I should have been in the gym last night, but, you know, some things happen and I'll go, you know, another night and then you put it off and you put it off or I should be taking this medication, but I'm not. And like all those kinds of things that we, we stereotypically engage in, we fall short and we fall short a lot. And to be someone like you who's physically addicted 
to a substance and also mentally addicted to a substance and and fight that battle up with yourself every day is um huge and so i admire you for just being one of those people that and, and I told you this before, um, and you were like, what are you talking about? But I mean, um, I just, it, you know, I, you know, and he perks me up when I'm down. Absolutely. He's like, oh, Absolutely. you're good. You're doing fine. You're, you're doing great. And I'm like, I don't feel like it. So I just want to thank you for what you said and kind of giving us a, um, a graphic view of, of how addiction kind of, kind of takes over. Because a lot of parents always ask me what should I be looking for? Or like, how do I prevent this? Um, when you asked about how to start a mat unit, really it just, it's, it's about attracting a talented people who are passionate about what they do, can educate and motivate and encourage people to have some hope and hope that they can, they have to instill this kind of idea that they have a future. You don't learn that in a book. So it's not about like how many degrees someone had or whether or not they had their license to counsel. It's really... Um, some kind of organic. We were fortunate enough to get when we when we hired the folks that we hired to to work in that unit. Obviously, you know you need books and materials and markers and you know that right. physical stuff. But um, really, it comes down to the personalities that are going to be around these folks on a day to day basis. And I'm I'm glad that we decided you decided um, to make um, that a special post. Um, so that those deputies that are in there want to be there, understand the value of, of drug and alcohol treatment, understand that we're trying to help people while they're incarcerated. Um, I, I think the largest lift was really the culture. Right. Because, you know, you're talking about introducing medications that are stereotypically considered to be contraband in the jail, <laughs> and now we're bringing them in, and then you got deputies yeah. looking at, The security you know, staff did not like that idea. All of us, bit. yeah. Well, let me yeah. tell you who didn't like it the most. <laughs> Oh really, right Doctor Smith? The rehab yeah. staff. Yeah, I was a little. Yeah, we're gonna, know, bring, little we're gonna bring drugs into the jail. What are we doing? Here? I was a little old school because I was thinking about how, they're, while they're incarcerated, we're going to be providing them with medication, and I was, uh, I was really concerned about that because what happens when you start talking about medication, and and it still happens to this day, is that um, people have this, uh, the misconception that this is a magic pill, this is a cure all. And I didn't want people to that think that sense, yeah. all of a sudden you're going to get this medication and my son or daughter is going to walk out of here right. clean and sober. Right. It's not that. And so I didn't want to contribute to that kind of culture where we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to give them a jug and they're going to be magically cured. So right. I didn't want to be a part of that. And But it's my job. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's make the best of it. And um, – help these folks do what they need to do so that when they leave here that they'll continue down the path of recovery. Doc. Captain McGowan's known as Doc also, so we got two Docs on the two other docs. side. Two Docs over here. <laughs> she's a real doctor. Yeah, she's <laughs> <laughs> If you guys don't know, Captain McGowan also plays uh, some music. You can tell by the voice, can't you? He's got the, although he's a drummer, I'm sure he's a singer too, you sing? I'm not very good not singer. Not very good You can do a Lou Way Rawls. too low of a You can do a Lou Rawls, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, you, you see TJ, you, you know, we're coming up with a mat unit. You see folks like TJ and, and uh, coming into the jail that you've been in how many years? You've been 26. 26 years you've been doing this jailing thing, which is a totally unique environment in law enforcement. Uh, that a lot, it's behind the scenes. Most people don't even think about it. Just lock them up and whatever happens next, and they come out and we complain because they're back in the door <laughs> a week later, two weeks later, you know. Uh, so this whole change of philosophy, obviously you're, you're a change agent inside the organization you're willing to change you're willing to take risk you're willing to see what works and if it sticks to the wall we'll do more if it doesn't we'll get rid of it and and that's i love that leadership style but uh how many how many uh, let me just be frank how many tjs you see come through in those 26 years before we you know actually 
and how many times does your heart bleed because you know when they walk out the door, you know, so you what lose count. is going to happen. And at first, and here's the other embarrassment, at first, you know, you put the blame on them because, you know, I, I haven't been addicted to drugs. So right, it's right. not my perception. And you're looking at somebody that's going through uh, DTs and you're thinking, well, that's the most uh, horrible thing ever, so they're never going to do that drug again. Um, that's an ignorant thing. Right, right. And then Dr. Smith comes along and helps me, and then you start to realize basically that uh, at one point in time, TJ's five or six years old, and he does not have a dream of being a drug addict. He has a dream God, of no. being an astronaut or a firefighter or a doctor or whatever his dream was. And somehow between five and six years old. A paramedic. And, <laughs> that's awesome. And a paramedic. There <laughs> a you paramedic, go. And, there you and go. sometime between that and his addiction, it, it, got, it got muddied up somehow and something happened. And that's what Dr. Smith helped me to realize. And then once you're in that deep, you know, and she explains it perfectly. You know, look at how hard we have just getting to the gym. Look how hard of a time we have just doing that. And he's trying to break a massive addiction, both on the mm -hmm. physical and mental level, that's mm -hmm. all the way into his brain cells and his receptors. Right, right. And that's when it clicked for me. And, you know, then you start looking at them. You get to know them, too. And then you see them come back time after time. And you get along with almost all of them. You know, most of the people in jail aren't, you know, bad, evil people. They've, they've made some bad decisions, but they're not bad people. Right. And you start to develop relationships with these people, and you really hope, you know, yeah. they're going to get it this time, and then they come back again, then come right. back again. Then you read about them in the paper. Exactly. And then we go down, and Dr. Smith and I sit down, and we lost another one. You know, they actually died, and that's when it starts hitting home, and that's when you start wanting to get involved in these programs. Nothing scares me more when you see hope as a strategy, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we see a lot of people, I hope they don't do that. No. TJ, we just got a couple minutes left. I mean, so you, obviously, the you're here telling the story because we think uh, – we think the world of you, and we think you're you're a guy of perseverance, and we and we think you're um, obviously we, we if you don't feel it, we love you. All right, we love you yeah, as a, as a you human guys. brother, uh, and we all have different job descriptions. I say in the world, you know, we, we, we but we're all the same human race. So, if you could share anything with 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 folks, or you could share anything with a, a family member, or of uh, someone that's addicted or even a, a kid that may be looking at their parent as addicted. I mean, I got about two minutes left. What, what would you share if you had a chance to reach mm. thousands and thousands of people on our podcast, which I doubt, but we'll try. <laughs> oh boy. The one thing I would definitely say is, um, if there is anybody that is like addicted, it's, um, to reach out, you know, we are absolutely blessed here in uh, Monroe County to have the amount of um, recovery here. You know, the recovery scene here is just so huge. We are so blessed to have what we have here. And it's not even that. It's like, you know, if, if you are going to reach out, you know, be honest. You know, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest thing is to just be honest about what you're going through, what you're feeling. Nobody's going to judge you. And if people do judge you, you know, those are the people you need to get rid of in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be honest. Uh, reach out. There's so Don't many. be afraid. Right. You know, that's the biggest thing is I, I can remember like just being so afraid of uh, not only getting clean, but like just living clean. Right. You know, because like when you get so accustomed to living in that a lifestyle of like fast paced using money, drugs, money, drugs, you, you forget like what the bigger picture is. Today, I, I can look, I'm just so blessed, you know, because, like, I can walk out of my apartment and, like, I can just admire the sky or admire, like, anything. And it's, like, not wake up, just, like, a slave. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, the word freedom was my, I was, it was on the tip of my tongue. And then you said slave. I mean, you're a free man right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. 
Well, I can't say uh, how fast 30 minutes went, and we tried to keep it at 30 minutes. Uh, guys and gals, we, Dr. Smith, Captain, TJ, I uh, just uh, appreciate so much sharing what a mat unit is, sharing what addiction. Uh, I, I felt it, not what it looks like. I, I felt as TJ's talking. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're going to close this out. And we, you guys don't know this, but we always close out our podcast with what I call the no Miranda zone. And I'm sure you guys in law enforcement are familiar with Miranda, where you have a right to remain silent, and anything you say kind of will be used against you. But here in a no Miranda zone, you have no right to remain silent. you got to answer my question, and we're going to use it against you in future. So uh, I'm just going to blast you guys with a couple of questions. I plead the fifth. Well, you know, the first question was, what did you want to be when you grew up? And you already said paramedics. You're out with the first one, but I'm coming back to you. (laughs) Dr. Smith, I've been dying to ask you this question. Uh, Wait, first of all, you already outed me by saying I didn't want Matt in yeah. front of our, our boss here. Like, tell the truth. That's what we do here. We tell the truth. Tell the truth. I've already been outed. Okay. All right, then we'll go with the – no, wait, wait. It's no, no Miranda Zone. What was it? If you could have dinner with anyone besides a family member or a close friend, who would it be and why? Who would you go to dinner with if you could have dinner with anybody in the world? We need some thinking music besides in the me. background. I know. Besides yeah, Catherine you McGowan. Need, besides you. Who would you go to do? Oh, Harry Tubman. Oh, sweet. Oh. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know what happened, but about a few years ago, I just started doing this research on her, and I just became super fascinated by her. Um, went down to the, her place in Auburn and toured the house, and it was, like, pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, she did some pretty bad <laughs> right stuff yeah. and and for being who she was in her day so yeah it'd definitely be here that's awesome me. that's good captain mcgowan yes no, sir no money no money involved in this dream here okay uh where would you go on vacation oh boy egypt really i've always wanted to see the pyramids there you go in the history yeah plus i could see you doing the dance remember that oh dance? i practiced that the, dance the, for the when i go to yeah. egypt yeah <laughs> What dance? The young people are saying. Never watched Saturday Night Live. Yeah. TJ, you ready? Besides wanting to be a paramedic when you grew up, when you grow up, when you grew up, I'm sorry. Uh, if someone was going to play you as an actor, an actor, any actor, oh, who would play you? I answered this question two weeks ago, by the way. Mine was Bill Murray. No one knew that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was odd. That's a good one. I know it's a good one. I'm, I, I like that kind of humor. I like the joke. So who would play you in Hollywood? You know, I'm a, I'm a comic guy myself, yeah, so good. I'd probably say Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, good humor right there. Some funny stuff. What are you laughing at, Captain McGowan? I like Adam Sandler. Yeah? So who would play you besides Lou Rawls with the voice, obviously? <laughs> uh, the gentleman that played Emotep in the movie The Mummy. If you what? look it up, it's he almost... looks exactly like me. That's so abstra- abstract. He looks exactly like Isn't me. Isn't it funny how he came back to Egypt again with the yeah, mummy yeah, thing, yeah, right? That's <laughs> like, a coincidence. That's a coincidence. <laughs> he looks exactly like me. Okay. Look it up. Well, I'm getting I, the... Uh, you know, I would have said that guy from like that group, um, the Australian group. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Led Zeppelin. I don't know. Led Zeppelin's not out there, UK. Uh, how can we dance when the... You know Sing what I'm it. talking no, about. No, we need a couple more verses. The Clash? Something that the lights are burning... It's oh, oh, uh, midnight. the midnight, midnight oil. oil. Yeah, midnight oil. That guy. That guy's just bald. That's the only reason you're saying it's me. <laughs> Emotep looks exactly like okay, me. Okay, fine. That's where we're going to end this show. God bless you guys. <laughs> to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.